0: The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers.
1: Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Today, first, host Elise Max speaks with Ed Hundley, the Founder Executive Director President of CAUDI, Keeping Our Destiny Intact, a local nonprofit in Kansas and Missouri dedicated to restoring families, providing guidance for at-risk youth, and aiding the transitional process of those being released back into society. Elise will talk with Ed about his own re-entry journey which inspired him to develop programs focused on mentoring and workforce development to assist others re-entering society after incarceration. At Caudi, well-being is at the forefront of what they are working together to achieve. You can learn more about the positive impact Caudi has in bringing about positive change. We'll play the calendar at the midpoint of our hour. Then host Melvin Merritt will speak with Laura McDonald, executive director of Moore Square, about their activities. Laura McDonald says that Moore Square, a not-for-profit agency, every single day brings a new challenge. Metro Organization for Racial and Economic Equity is a faith-based organizing group that trains and develops ordinary Kansas City area faith leaders to do extraordinary things to shape public policies and change their communities. Please stay tuned to learn of their endeavors and what you can do to be involved. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show.
2: Good morning, Kansas City. My name is Elise Max, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning hosting Jaws of Justice Radio. Um, my guest this morning is Ed Hundley, and Ed is the founder and executive director of Cody, a nonprofit in Kansas and Missouri, uh, working to serve people that are transitioning back to society after um, being in mass incarceration. So, welcome, Ed. Thank you so much for being with us on this Monday morning. Good morning, and thank you for allowing me to be here. Yeah, so I'm going to jump right in and. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, and I want to just kind of start out um, to have you tell us a little bit about Cody. Tell us just in general, like what is the mission of the organization, and how are you serving people in Kansas City?
3: Uh, the mission period is to um, provide the guidance necessary for the young men in the in the in the, in the unfortunate areas that really really need it. Um, I was I was a victim of that myself growing up. Um, that's where my main focus is um, dealing with the youth um, I work with um, schools, I've done pop-up pop-ins um, we've given out Cody swag bags um, from the clothing line um, We've right now we just got a location and we're trying to create a workspace um, so we can do some workshops um, we have a Cody Academy program um, it's a uh, um, three-phase program. It focuses on accountability, reliability, and responsibility. Um, my opinion is that the more accountability we have, the less victims that we have. Um, because the more people you have saying, okay, I'll take accountability for that. It's on me. It's in my head. You know, you, the less people you have blaming. She made me mad. He made me mad. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's less victims when you have more accountability.
2: That's awesome. Okay, well, those uh, sound very exciting, um, programming. Um, Your website talks about mentoring and workforce development. So I assume that kind of curriculum is wrapped up inside the programming you're giving?
4: Right
3: now, currently with the workforce development and the mentoring program that's connected with Midwest Movers. Um, So any young male that's looking for a job, I can currently hire you right now, and you'll be currently being mentored while you're at work.
2: Awesome. So on the job training and right into making a paycheck. And obviously we know it's important to have sustainable income as well as benefits, healthcare, those kinds of things aren't provided to folks when they get out.
3: It's more sustainable to have morals, principles, (laughs) you know what I mean? That too, you know, it's equally important. That's where the balance comes in.
2: Definitely. I noticed, um, according to the prison policy initiative, that only 30% of people, um, when they um, re-enter society, find gainful, uh, sustainable employment, and I'm just curious from your perspective, what are some of the roadblocks to folks um, um, finding that employment?
3: I'm I'm really surprised that is that high, to be honest with really? you, um, and I really don't think it is. Yeah. Um, I'm 46 years old, and at this time, I still couldn't work for FedEx. I still couldn't do Uber because of my background the irony in that I'm still being punished for something 30 years ago. You know what I'm saying? No matter what I'm doing today and who I am today. When that comes up, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? Um, I've lived that. I've been out 10 years come August. When you're a convicted felon, you, you're allowed to work in certain places. <laughs> you know, when you're working in certain places, that mean you you allowed to how much money you make. You know, when, when you're restricted to how much money you make, you're restricted to what type of lifestyle you live. You know, you're in a box, and a lot of guys can't take that pressure or think outside that box. You know, and then when you start having kids, <laughs> you know, it's it pressure builds on top of pressure. You know what I mean? So it's it's about making the right decisions from the beginning.
2: hmm Yeah, I I mean. I know there's a movement towards like banning the box and people changing the laws, um, especially not just in the workforce, but also in housing um, and other barriers that are in front of people that um, are trying to gain employment. And so talk to me about like, what are some of those morals and values that are needed with reintegration into society that aren't being taught? I mean. I know our prisons are supposed to be rehabilitation facilities, but we know that they're punishment facilities. Um, it's, it's so on, what is missing there?
3: It's on the individual. Prison will tell you that, you know, they, they do, you know, have the rehabilitation classes. They offer this, but they don't force it up on you. It's on the individual, you know what I'm saying, to take the accountability and do what he has to do. Um, It's, it's really hard, like, you know, but... <laughs> You, you, just like you run across bad people, you're going to run across good people. You know what I'm saying? And you run across good people that encourage you, you know what I'm saying, to do what you need to do. But um, education is the best part of it because I think the biggest thing to have, the, that was the, 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 the transition coming out here is discipline. You, you, most people that come from jail are more, way more disciplined than people in society because they haven't had those distractions to deal with. So it's a lot more easier to focus. Um, they catch more things in a conversation. <laughs> you, you you know what I mean? Like it's, it's more, they've had more practice. You understand what I'm saying? It's been nonstop. You're around at least 1,800 different personalities and characteristics, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days, year after year after year. You learn human behavior. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to know the person to identify your behavior. You know what I'm saying? And you know what you're dealing with. So most times you know how to navigate it.
5: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, thinking about the difference inside from having those face-to-face human interactions and then coming out into the world and like being in such an AI, high-tech type of society and having to adjust not only to the technical skills that are needed in the workplace, but also just the interpersonal dynamics. I can't imagine not having a cell phone and then coming out, trying to navigate that?
3: Um, that was that was one of my biggest issues. Um, there are computer classes. I did take computer class my last six months before I got out, uh, applied computer te- technology. Um, just the basics, you know, PowerPoint and, you know, Word. Um, it's, it's, again, it's on the individual. Mm-hmm. Like, you really, really, really have to take an initiative to become a better person you know what I'm saying like nobody's gonna push you to do better you know what I mean and I strive every day to be the person that I needed when I was growing up you know that's that's what make me get up every day you know what I'm saying like it's I don't have family here I don't have friends here like I'm not from here I'm from St. Louis Missouri like it starts right there like when you want to change they say change your people places and things like you literally have to start doing that stuff physically like you have to do it you have to do it in order to succeed like i i filled out my first 6 months out I, I filled out over 200 applications and i would only get jobs through temp services only through temp services no company would hire me directly mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying i had to accept that i had and it's it's hard when you have endeavors of your own mm-hmm. and you're trying to keep a roof over your head You know what I'm saying? Like, I've literally came from the bottom. I've lived in my car. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, it hasn't been easy. You know what I'm saying? But I'm I'm proud of myself now. You know, I'm a published author. I have a nonprofit. I have a clothing line. It's not hard, but you can do it. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely going to be a journey.
2: That's amazing. And I think for our listeners, let's back up a little bit and kind of frame some of this to um, how your own experiences informed your work. You told me that you were um, incarcerated as a juvenile and you've been out for 10 years. Can you tell us a little bit about that background and how that you know inspires you to do mentoring and work with you?
3: Um, I started my record when I was 12 years old, 1989. I always been in and out of institutions and jails, um, juvenile centers, Division of Youth Services, um, I was into the gang banging, just young, impressionable, living in other people's opinions, approval seeking, people pleasing, the average teenage stuff. <laughs> you know, I was guilty of it all. Uh, I can admit that now. So, you know, when you guilty of those things, you're going to make some errors in judgment. So, um, I went to jail for an attempt robbery. You know what I'm saying? I was sentenced to 20 years. Um, I, 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 being, underdeveloped and and getting to 20 years but not realizing you really have 20 years until you got three years in. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm whew, I'm telling you, a fool knows all things but his own ignorance. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. But yeah, I'm um, going through that you know at some point you have to become sick and tired of being sick and tired you know what i'm saying um you realize the people that you love you know what you're putting them through you know um, grandmother you know what i'm saying um i lost a lot while i was locked up um, my mother passed away my grandfather passed away my great grandfather passed away my best friend in the whole world that took care of me for 14 years got killed and it wasn't even his issue you you know you you lose a lot and you start just realizing like man like i, I got to do something different you know what i'm saying like i really got to do something different like and only way i'm going to do something different is by going out here attacking the youth you know what i'm saying establishing a foundation you know what i'm saying like and like you said that's what the acronym of Cody is keeping our destiny intact so it 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 it, it doesn't make sense for me to have a brand like that and my actions doesn't reflect that
2: mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. Um, that's amazing. You said you were been in and out since 12 years old. And I just want to let our listeners know. So at 12 years old, were you in going into ju- in and out of juvenile facilities juvenile. or are you also being certified as an adult? When did that start?
3: Um, well, the first case I ever caught, I was 12 years old. Um, it's in my book. <laughs> okay. Um, my mother set me up. Um, she held up a dollar bill. She had some crack in it she wanted me out the house. She told me it was my ticket to jail. Called the police. I went to jail. Um it hard me. It prepared me. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> it, it was it's, it created something that none of them wanted. You know what I'm saying? And, and nothing I was prepared for. Mm-hmm. But um my first time getting certified, I was 14 years old. I was certified by Evelyn Baker. Oh, okay. Um, She told me to my face in front of my mother and my grandmother that I wouldn't live long enough to qualify for a driver's license. Um, The statement always stayed with me. And I honestly think jail saved my life. (laughs) I honestly think so. Um, Because before I went to prison, I dropped out in the 10th grade. Um, I was always bright in school, you know what I mean? But I just didn't put forth the effort. Mm. So when I decided to get on this thing of educating myself, and I obtained my GED, I obtained a Bachelor of Science in Business Management and Associates in Marketing, I can type 72 words a minute, I can speak Spanish fluently, I can only curse in Vietnamese, (laughs) (laughs) I write Arabic better than I speak it, and all this came from prison, but it came from me applying myself, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, like, focusing on that instead of this, you know, I I got tired of being in there, I wanted to get out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, and so I, I, it could go either way. I mean, you could fall into the pits of despair and destruction. Was is also an option that I see people go down when they get three years into their sentence, or you realize I'm here for it and got to make got to make it better. And I, it's, I'm glad that you've done that and are out here sharing that. Um,
3: it's the decisions that you make. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys get caught up on false pride. Yeah. You know, um, he don't know who I am. He don't know where I'm from. Um, Living in other people's opinions. You know, feeling like you got something to prove. Um, I want to prove that I can be a better person. You know, I want to prove that I can help the community. Um, I want to prove that Cody is the cure.
2: Um, You mentioned that you have a book. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about how that came about? Is that something you wrote while you were inside, or something afterwards, looking back? And how can they find that book?
3: Um, the book title is called "A Respectable Teardrop." Um, you can; it's Googleable. <laughs> yeah, it, how the Kanye taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's right. But um, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can find it i uh, almost done with my second book. Um, it's called A Recovered Past and Created Future, Selfish Manituary. Um My mother passed in 2005. At that time, I was like, okay, let me start working on my story now. So I started writing the book after I came up with Cody, the clothing line. But I started writing the book. Um, I had the book finished before I got out. Uh, still took me a minute to actually publish the book. Um, it's my autobiography. It's about from the time I was born to the time I was released. Um, the second book is about from the time I was released all the way up into my journey now.
2: That's great. And um, are you using that in your curriculum, like with the youth that you've been mentoring? or?
3: Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Um, what I've learned... Um, the proof has to be in the pudding. Yeah. When you're dealing with impressionable youth, yeah. You know, you it's you you don't be a oxymoron. You know what I'm saying? Don't tell me one thing and then do something else. Like, and if you've never took that walk, I don't want to hear no way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of them fall in love with the wrong side of me. You know, they, they think they're going to get one thing, and then they get something else. <laughs> but it works out.
2: That's great. That's great, however, how you can get to them. And um, I, I just can't imagine how important it is to hear from someone who has experienced things directly as opposed to just being told from adults in your life, you know, what the right and wrong path is. So thank you for your work in doing that. I mean, I can't imagine how how difficult it also is for you to relive your own years all the time and keep, you know, bringing all that up. So
3: It's 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 therapeutic for me.
2: It's good.
3: Um I don't have nobody in my life to talk to me the way I talk to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So me talking to them every day like that is reassurance for me. Yeah. That's what keeps me in check. Yeah. You know what I'm saying cuz it's like I can't Oops counts too, so I can't make a oops around them. I can't, I, I can't afford to. So
5: yeah,
2: that's awesome. Um, you were mentioning uh, that you recently got a space. So, is Cody have exist in a building? Is it online? What?
3: Um, can you
2: share with us any of your exciting projects? Or
3: I can't, I can't. Uh, right now, uh, we do have a website. It's wearecody100.com W E arekodi one 0 -0 com is the website. Um, We just got a location. The location is actually in Kansas. It's not in Missouri. We're working on a location in Missouri. Um, So the location is 8132 Leavenworth Road. Um, We're getting the building together now, bringing everything up to code. Um, We're gonna have a grand opening. You guys are more than welcome to come. we, um, it, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I'm excited. Um, we're definitely working on a few things. It's going to be slash retail slash um, workspace um, for the um, the groups. It's 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 nice. I'm more excited about the community in the back that we're working on. It's going to be a Cody community where for reentry people, like I don't want to talk too much about it right now, Jacy. Okay. But it's it's I'm so excited about that. Like, cause, like I was telling you, like we have these boxes and we're gonna convert all of them into living spaces, and it's it's gonna be
2: nice. That's really yeah. awesome. I can sense your excitement. Yeah. I can't wait. I would love to come to the re yes. to the opening, and yeah. it's just great to have those options and opportunities in the community for folks, and to know where to how to point them in the right direction. Um, We've got about five minutes left and I kind of want to ask you, um, because I like to, I I know there are a lot of problems out there, but I really like to envision what a world could look like that is positive and has support. So in a perfect world, what do you think it would look like for people that are reentering society? What supports need to be in there? What needs to be set up? Hmm. What wasn't there for you that if you could just wave a magic wand and resources were not an issue? What would a transition process look like that was positive and beneficial to folks?
3: With, without me being involved, just in a perfect world, period. <laughs> it, would, it would definitely have to start with family for sure.
2: Okay. Yeah. Your website you know, talks about um, that, keeping the family together. Yeah.
3: You know, restoring families because, you know, a lot of us um, in my situation, like here's my story coming from my family, right? Right. Um, I really don't have a relationship with not one sibling on my mother's side, right? Um, And it's not really our fault, right? My mother went to prison when I was like seven. I'm the oldest child. It was me and three girls at the time. So to prevent us from going to foster care, each one of us was split up between family members. You know what I'm saying? We didn't grow up in the same house. So that put a... We was kinda like cousins anyway, not seeing each other every day, not living with each other. So a lot of stuff starts with the family. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like, we gotta make sure these families are together. We gotta make sure people are nurturing, you know, people are loving. Like, it's so many people that discourage their people's passions, ideas. Like, if your child expressed something to you, nurture that. Don't make fun of that. Nurture that. Like bring that out. Like it's for guys coming out of prison. Number one, um, I think mental health is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to make sure most of these guys are mentally stable. You know what I'm saying? To even re-enter society. You know what I'm saying? Um, everybody doesn't survive mentally. I'm. I'm. Just, everybody survives physically, mm-hmm. but everybody doesn't survive mentally. Like it's it's that emotional and mental turmoil on a daily basis. A lot of people can't deal with that and when you don't have family you know you can't escape that situation by getting on the phone going on visits because you don't have that support and you're watching it happen with everybody else like it just adds on top on top on top like we just got to learn how to love each other better that's mm-hmm. it
2: yeah so um mental health support are, are you talking about um like therapy or community or
3: Community. It starts with yeah. community. I think we would never get to the point where we would need therapy. because Community is the therapy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because if people feel comfortable where they can open up and they can talk to you, they're not going to be judged. They're not going to be ridiculed. You know them. I mean? They're going to actually be listened to and helped. You have more of it. Yeah. You have more of it. People speak out about anything nowadays, but that. Yeah. People keep that in. They hide. You know. They speak about anything else but what they're really, really going through.
2: Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. I agree with that. I I think the Cody space that you're envisioning is very exciting in the sense that there will be a community and and those supports that aren't in place that you can't really get through therapy. Um, Well, you have awesome ideas, Ed. I'm so glad to have you on the show today. We are running out of time. And will you tell us again, what your website is, and also the name of your book before we log off
3: Okay, here. the name of the book is called A Respectable Teardrop. You can Google it, it'll pop up. Um, the nonprofit site is wearekody100.com. The clothing line site is kodywear.com. K-O-D-I-W-E-A-R.com.
2: Awesome. Well, we will keep you posted through our community calendar on Jaws of Justice when there are activities happening with Cody. And I so appreciate you and thank you for being with us this morning, Ed. uh, Thanks so much. Thank you.
3: All right.
6: Every Tuesday from 6 to 6.30 p.m., Radioactive Magazine, a locally produced public affairs program spotlights individuals and organizations in our community that deal with ideas and issues of social and political significance such as climate change,
0: racial and gender inequality, pay inequity, and much, much more. That's Radioactive Magazine, Tuesdays, 6 to 6.30 p.m., right here on 90.1
6: FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio.
7: After 33 years on air, KKFI's beloved Groovy Grant has decided to retire from the airwaves. As host of OG's Hangout, one of KKFI's longest running programs, Groovy Grant has presented a vintage classic format show designed to educate and increase the awareness of the compliments and contributions made by Afro-Americans. Groovy is one of a kind. Between his archive interviews and deep musical knowledge, Groovy is a well-respected historian of Kansas City's true musical heritage. We are sad to see him go. On behalf of KKFI's board, staff, and volunteers, we want to send our deepest gratitude and thanks to Groovy for his long-standing commitment to KKFI and the Kansas City community for all of these years. We also want to thank his dedicated listeners who have tuned in every Wednesday to hear Groovy's musical selections and historical perspectives. Groovy's final show will be Wednesday, May 10th at 3 p.m. Please tune in then for one last episode of OG's Hangout.
1: Now the calendar for the week of May 8th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Monday, May 8th, 6 p.m., is the Moore Square Monthly Issues to Action Meeting. These meetings are open to any who are interested in getting involved. Usually, there are some general updates and announcements, then teams will break out by issue focus to plan their next steps of action. The Zoom link is available at mooresquare.org. Org. wednesday may 10th all day is give stl day go to missourians for alternatives to the death penalty to learn how you can show support for their work friday may 12th 5 to 8 p.m fund me baby one more time will be at fetch 1101 mulberry kansas city missouri hosted by women in politics foundation music by dj sir queen Drinks by Campground and Drastic Measures. TCS Fully Loaded Food truck. Funds go to the Missouri Abortion Fund. Saturday, May 13th at noon, Mothers of Incarcerated Sons and Daughters Monthly Session meets to offer information about state and federal criminal justice systems, provide support and advocacy for self and the incarcerated, lobby for reforms, and much more. Many leave feeling empowered, not alone and overwhelmed. This meeting will be at the PlexPod Westport Commons, centrally located on the bus line, easy to find at 300 East 39th Street, Kansas City, Missouri, Annex A. Saturday, May 13, 3 to 9 p.m., Ukrainian Spring Picnic in Kansas City at the Harmon Park Pavilion, West 77th and Delmar Street, Prairie Village, Kansas. The picnic will feature musical performances by Ukrainian artists, art exhibits, and many other activities. You can bring your favorite dish, although that's not mandatory, and they'll see you there. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That's updated daily. My name is Terry. reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show.
6: Good morning, Kansas City. Welcome to Jaws of Just here on KKFI I am your host, Melvin Merritt. In the studio with me is the executive director of Moore Square, Miss Laura McDonald's. And I'm going to take this time to welcome uh, Miss Laura McDonald's. Do you mind if I call you Laura?
8: Please call me Laura. Thank all you, Mr. Right. Merritt. Welcome
6: to Jealous of Justice. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. Great to have you. One of my first questions that I want to ask is that uh, a little bit of the history of Moore Square, and it was created in 2004. But give us a little background of what it's all entails, so to speak.
8: Yes, yeah, so More Squared was actually founded by a group of congregations that came together, Jewish, Christian, and Unitarian. At that time, it was 12 congregations originally that came together to form our organization, and it really was formed around this notion of people with, um, of different faiths could come together around their shared faith values, mm-hmm. like belief in the common good. Oh, okay. And and
6: that's how we were formed. It kind of leads me to my next question: How did you get involved with More Square? Yes, sir. I got involved in More Square. Actually, I was a member
8: of one of those original congregations, and I started hearing about it probably when I first joined that church back in mm, I want to say it was two thousand five or two thousand six that I joined Community Christian Church. And so I would hear about it at church, but didn't get too involved. And then I was starting to work around some criminal justice issues in our city. And I just know that those are really rooted in race, and so I started kind of scratching at the staff of Moore Square, going, "Y'all should work on these issues." So, oh, okay. so that's how I came to be came really involved. Is I started meeting with them, telling them what they should be doing, and now I'm running the place. I mean, kinda, <laughs> you
6: you kind of. Uh... Go into my next question as well. And you talked about, uh, at least with the organization, talking about tearing down barriers uh, as it relate to race and class. And tell us a little bit about how you go about this.
8: Well, that's a lot of work. One of the most important, essential parts of our work is being in relationship with each other, right? And so we, and public relationships, not not that we all have to come together to make friends, but that we have to be in relationship in such a way that we know how to work together, that we know how to uh, tear down the things that divide us, right? Mm -hmm. And so we actually teach and train just ordinary people in this community about how to. Get in relationship with people, talk to people one on one, and get to know them
6: better. That's true. That is so true. And we were talking about it before going on air about the uh, saying that said it's better to build bridges opposed to building walls. Amen. And so uh, that is a good way of tearing down divides between people, and because of their race and their class and and reaching out and seeing how you can be more beneficial to each other and that is really so so necessary in our society and one of the other things that you have uh which is uh this name called and i you know rabbis jewish rabbis would correct me on it but i call it gamaliah network and tell us a little bit how did that come about? Is that word Gamaliel?
8: We yeah, I'm so glad you asked gonna, about. <laughs> yeah, I say we say, um, and I I can't even say what we say because it's a tomato mm-hmm. tomato kind of word. Like mm-hmm. people all say it differently, right. but we I say Gamaliel or Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He was a rabbi, right, yeah. in the Bible. And mm-hmm. you actually just retold the story. A lot of people don't know that name from yeah, the Bible. Exactly. But um, what our national network does, they're headquartered in Chicago. And so they actually, we all come together as the national trainers for Um, leaders in all of our 46 cities all over the nation so um, there's 46 different affiliates of the Gamaliel network and we're in like 17 different states around the union and each of these uh organizations has staff like me and the staff of all of the affiliates we're the national trainers and we put people through national leadership training so you could go through anybody in our community who's Mm -hmm. wanting to work on these issues could go through our national leadership training um Our claim to fame as a network is one Barack Obama, before he was president, Barack Obama Mm -hmm. was a Gamaliel organizer in Chicago, right? right. And um, Mandela Barnes, who's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes Mm -hmm. now, he was one of our colleagues about a decade ago, Um, So we have some real legendary leadership in our ranks, and that's really what we do. The Gamaliel Network kind of brings us all together to train and develop our respective leaders in our cities. And then we we all work together on, like, three national issues. Immigration is one of them, immigration reform, so people can have a— pathway to citizenship. We just started working on um, mass incarceration as a national issue, decreasing mass incarceration mm-hmm. across the nation, and then environmental justice issues is our third.
6: And, and I'm noticing that you're you dealing with 17 different states in yes. the United States, and, and what do you do in terms of uh, setting up meetings with all of these different affiliates uh, yes in all those different states
8: we you know our tradition has typically been like come together face to face as often as possible right and so Mm -hmm. we do these tune in three times a year and then all the community organizers like me and the staff here at more squared we all come together a couple of times a year but you know the pandemic brought us Required more of us, right? and We had to level up, and so we all use technology like everybody else oh, now. Sure. And we're zooming across the nation. So and, that's what
6: you do: you put it on a big screen and, have yes, sir. Great and yes, sir. Meeting, yes, minds, sir. Yes, so sir.
8: That's <laughs> right. And then I get to chair. I'm I'm blessed that I get to chair the uh, national table of all the states that you know including so Missouri is represented as the national chair mm. and uh well, I, get to, I get to I get to I get to convene the group though as sure. the chair and so it's wonderful
6: yeah well, and, and you alluded to the fact that you know there's some things that you, the organization is doing in terms of uh uh like uh, uh health and housing and and tell us a little background on that especially with uh through the bus routes and Oh, my goodness. Yes.
8: We've done so much. Our our kind of bread and butter work as an organization originally was workforce development and transit. And so we did things like we won bus routes. Sunday bus routes in Wyandotte County didn't exist before More Squared Mm. worked on that. Right. And you know how important that is to get people, you know, lower income people to jobs or doctor's appointments or whatever um, or church on Sunday. Right. right? So um, we won Sunday bus routes. We want a new uh, bus route in the Marlboro neighborhood that carries people to, like, Ward Parkway, where they can go to Trader Joe's or the Hy-Vee on State Line, giving them more access to healthy foods, right? So,
6: But not cutting you off, but in the meantime, if they're not able to get the buses, do you provide vans or buses to get them to these locations until this route is brought to them?
8: Our work is really about creating the public system solutions to problems. And mm. so, no, we don't do stopgap solutions usually. Right. Usually. We have a couple of times. So, one example is we couldn't get the Kansas City, Kansas. Police department to take calls and complaints the right way, mm. and so we start taking them ourselves. You know, so wow. sometimes we'll do things, but but usually we can't be a temporary solution to a permanent problem, right? So mm. so we just try to address the problem politically.
6: Tell me, you got you you dealing with corner stores and and, and mom uh-huh. and pop type stores, and tell us a little bit how you how you're going about, especially with healthy foods. Uh huh. We did that. That was a project we did when
8: I was pretty new. We worked with in the Ivanhoe neighborhood, and we worked in the Marlboro neighborhood. And we actually talked to residents in the community, did a lot of community engagement, and then we we found out what stores, what corner and convenience stores they most shopped at and purchased food at, and then we worked at the with the stores to add healthier offerings. You know, I'm sure you're aware. Um, A lot of people don't know, depending on where they live and work and shop, that there are entire neighborhoods where you can't buy fresh produce unless it's summertime and someone's growing it. And
6: and is that the reason and what is that the motivating factors for uh, starting gardens and neighborhood gardens and things like that? Is it because of the fact that certain areas in the neighborhood can't afford or don't have Access to that those healthy foods. You know, I'm I'm
8: actually a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm a country girl, okay. so I I grew up in <laughs> rural Missouri. It's known now. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. I had cows and pigs as neighbors growing up, and I. Started um, with a group of people. We started one garden at 27th and Prospect. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Morningstar Missionary Baptist has a beautiful community center true, true. where that garden used to be. <laughs> but yeah. we started one there. I started one when I worked at Crosslines at, um, in Kansas City, Kansas. It's at, you know, 7th and Shawnee over there. We I believe that people having fresh food accessible to them right in their neighborhoods is just essential for all of our health and well-being. But also, gardens are just a real like hub in community, right? And it's a place where people can gather. It was a place when we first designed this at Crosslines, a lot of people kind of mocked me when I came up with this idea or said that the homeless people would ravage through our garden or whatever. Mm. Did well, that happen? you mr melvin the garden was a beacon for the community it was such a blessing people you know what we had was in that neighborhood some of the working poor homeowners really resented cross being there because it did attract homeless people sure. to where they own property and they mm-hmm. they felt some kind of way about our outreach and that we did what transformed because of that garden is we would have some of the formerly complaining neighbors bringing their grandkids out, working in the garden alongside people who were homeless. Mm. And they're no longer complaining. Now they're getting to know each other.
6: That is beautiful. Now, what is the requisite? Or I should say the prerequisite of being a part of this garden is for this healthy food in terms of people just wanting to go in and get say lettuce and Yes, sir. Some type of vegetables, tomatoes or whatever.
8: You know, I don't know what they're doing at that garden now. I don't mm. actually know what we were doing at that time was we would pick the produce and give it out in the food pantry. Mm. And so if you qualified for, you know, our food pantry services, you were also going to get some cucumbers and tomatoes and okra and stuff like that, sure. you know. Um We we also have had a we also had a program there at one time where people sold the produce to, you know, as a job training program. So, yeah, I don't know what they do now.
6: That's interesting. Let's turn the corner and let's talk about uh, your involvement with voting. Tell us a little bit about that.
8: You know, our most recent endeavors have been around registering people with felony convictions to vote in both Missouri and Kansas, and then trying to make sure that people have access to voting if they're like in the Jackson County jail, mm-hmm. right? I don't know, largely people don't know, but it's a myth. But once you are not on felony probation or parole, You get your voting rights back in both Missouri and Kansas. And so we're really trying to debunk that myth and get people out to vote and say your vote matters. But we have a lot of different um, things that we do around engaging voters. It's really a big part of our
6: work. You know, kind of remind me of some things that are taking place, and I don't want to too much get into the politics of this uh, about Georgia uh, reversing voting mm. rights and things like that. And and I was wondering, you know, if that began to start taking shape, and possibly it is here in Missouri. Uh, what would your organization do? Just.
8: What I—it's not a big secret that we ultimately would love to see people's voting rights restored, and that they never lose their mm. rights while they're in prison. In fact, if people have to be incarcerated, they should have a vote. True. right? Yeah. And and we know that it all over the nation that you—it's where you're incarcerated gets to count you as though you're a constituent of that congressional district. Sure. So if you're in Cameron, Missouri, you just increase their population there mm-hmm. if you're in the Cameron, Missouri prison, so right?
6: You're saying that they should have the right They to should vote. be able to vote in they Cameron, be, Missouri. Sure. They
8: live there and they mm-hmm. increase their population. So that's what we ultimately believe, but it'll take a lot of work to change those laws in Missouri. Sure, sure. and.
6: When a person commits a crime and some of the crimes that was committed by some of these individuals and and they know up front that their rights would be, you know, taken away in terms of voting, you know, and and that type of thing. And so what do you do about that? And one side of the the, the aisle that says, you know, these people should not have the right to vote.
8: I guess I don't get that mindset because if the government can punish you, shouldn't you get a say in it, in the government? Like it, Right? Like, right. why should you only be a, a subjected to the government's punishment and now you no longer get a say in the very government that has you in confinement?
6: Yeah. And, and the other side of that coin, too, because of what they say is that the person had served they, they, their time. So they should be free to, as a, another citizen or any other citizen. Absolutely. And because they have paid that that, that price.
8: We think, at least while people are on probation and parole and in community with us, that they should be able to exercise their rights. They mm. live in a democracy. They still pay taxes when they work. They still pay, pay property taxes when they own something. Shouldn't they also get a say always? And,
6: and let's uh, talk about the education, because you're, you, you're, you're involved in a lot of great work as an organization and i I applaud you for that and so tell us a little bit about this educational part Mm -hmm. of this program
8: So our very latest education endeavor is around stopping these book banning things that are happening all over the nation. Like Mm -hmm. it's like the 1950s all over again. And so so we're working on eliminating book banning Mm -hmm. in some places. We're working around education issues like we got um, Kansas City public schools to ban out of school suspensions for younger students because we know that that um, starts setting kids up toward a pathway to uh, juvenile or incarceration later. Um, we've also done things to return more money to Kansas City Public Schools and these other school districts, like um, reducing the amount of tax increment financing, or TIF, mm. that comes out of our Kansas City Public School District. So those and are a few. Now is that what you, is that an acronym of T-I-F? Mm-hmm. TIF is tax increment financing, okay. and it's a commonly used term all over all over the nation. And w- basically, it is it is an economic development tool which we love because it helps uh, people create. Uh, Projects, economic development projects in blighted areas. But unfortunately, we've really abused TIF in our city. Our elected officials have, they just keep building new hotels and it's its basically um, siphoning money off of our
6: public school districts. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, how do that play into homeschoolers? You know, people, are, have you even thought about that one? You know, is it something that you work on as well?
8: I have not. I I have not. I know that more an increased number of people are pulling their their children out of traditional public that's schools. You know, and right. I think COVID made people see public education and their own ability to interface with those
6: systems differently mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, but that's not been something we've been very involved with. Okay, all right. Uh, what about uh, criminal justice? Because uh, I was as I was looking at your website, you uh, know. And I, I, all I could say is you just have a gamut of a whole lot of things that you guys, no wonder you're 17 states, you know, because <laughs> yes, you're doing a lot of stuff, great stuff. Though, Tell us a little bit about, uh, like, liquor license ordinances mm-hmm. and things like
8: that. Yeah, we've done a whole lot. That's my, you know, that's what brings me into racial justice work is criminal justice work. I, I had worked in a Missouri prison when I was a, very young college student, and I really saw the racial inequities in that system. And so we've done um, a number of different things focused on the rights of people when they return from incarceration. So we worked with Councilman Jermaine Reed and banned the box, took the criminal history question off employment applications in Kansas City. Um, We have modified the liquor license that you referred to. It used to be in Kansas City, Missouri, If you had a felony conviction, you couldn't get one of those little cards that gives you permission to work in a gas station, restaurant, or grocery store. If you had a felony, you couldn't work in a gas station in Mm. Kansas City. Ain't that something? So we eliminated some of those restrictions through our work. Like
6: um, what you mentioned about... uh Bans on food stamps and stuff like that.
8: Th- that one as well. We there was a lifetime ban on food
6: stamps I for didn't if realize, you. I didn't realize.
8: Yes, that. sir. In starting in 1996, the the Clinton administration allowed states to no longer provide food stamps to people with drug related convictions, mm. and most states opted Is into there a that. Is reason why that? The theory at that time, by the person who started the amendment, was that people on drugs would abuse food stamps to to get drugs, right? Yeah. but our argument
6: has long been you can't ban people. You regulate something like that, you know, especially when it comes to people, when you alluded to the fact that someone is recovering from drugs, but yet the same people were selling them. Yes, sir. The, yes, the food sir. food stamps, but now they're recovering. Well, I didn't mention that because I don't think people do. I mean, we all know that people sell food. And uh, what about this uh, exoneration? And that you're talking about a compensation bill. What is that? Yes, well, there's, you
8: know, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened, especially in Kansas City, Kansas. And so a lot of our work, we have a full time organizer, Lucas Barons, in Wyandotte County, and he, a lifelong, you know, Kansas City, Kansas resident, and he has been organizing around all kinds of situations that um detective roger galupski is responsible for there are wrongfully incarcerated um men we have heard as many as 30 people in kansas prisons have claimed their their uh innocence behind wyandotte county cases 30 People incarcerated wrongfully, perhaps, and some of them have already gotten out, like
6: Lamont McIntyre. Uh, Kansas City. Just in case you're tuned in, uh, I'm talking with uh, the executive director of Moore Square, <laughs> and by the uh, Miss Laura McDonalds. In case you're just now tuning in, and. Uh, I would like for you to give out a little bit of your information in case someone might be interested in getting involved in some kind of way with Moore Square.
8: I love that. There's a job for everybody when it comes to racial justice. So our our uh, easiest way to contact anybody on the staff is just go to our website. It's just more, M-O-R-E-2 dot O-R-G, more2.org. And, and remember the two, which <laughs> represents square. That's right. It's an exponent, but it's right. www 2org M-O-R-E-2 dot O-R-G, and you can fill out a contact form on there and we can add you to our database. It's real easy to get involved. We have things people can do from home and and things you can do in
6: public uh, with us. So. Sounds good. What, what about a number, a telephone number they may can write down?
8: Yes, sir. It's uh, My cell phone number is what, I, what we give out on the website. It's
6: mm. 816-277-5912 and I'm hoping that they got the information and I'm sure that they did. And uh, we're going to go ahead on. I want to appreciate and say, I appreciate your coming out and being my guest here on KKFI. Thanks for listening and keep on listening here at Jaws of Justice. Thank you.
5: It's the 420 Drug War News and this is Mr. Eric Sterling of the Criminal Justice Policy Foundation.
0: My years on on Capitol Hill, I remember working with Men who were DEA undercover agents and learning sort of about sort of how they operated. And they were complaining that the DEA equipment, that the surveillance equipment they had was shoddy and they felt that their lives were at risk, that the rules that they had to follow uh, endangered them. But the, the And this is why they were complaining to, to, the, to congressional staff. But I was struck because it was also very clear that they they knew that they had a license to uh, break the law and use drugs that other people didn't. That they found the life of being a professional undercover informant very exciting. Um, there they were not prohibited from using drugs or telling lies, telling lies. And what what I realized is that. The essence of what drug enforcement is at at, at any serious level, other than sort of making an accidental stop uh, where a dog smells marijuana in the trunk or something. The essence is betrayal, in which somebody working for the government works to earn the trust of another person and then betrays them. And that's the purpose, is to betray them, to build trust and betray trust. And to recognize then that there are tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in the society working for police departments and narcotics bureaus who are actively seeking to betray other people to win their trust, their affection, their friendship in order to betray them, that's a profoundly immoral and destructive thing in a society.
5: All right, folks. Uh, Once again, that was Eric Sterling. He was counsel to the U.S. House Committee on the Judiciary back from uh, 1979 to 1989. And he participated in the passage of the mandatory minimum sentencing laws. And I guess the the point I'm wanting to get to is that the cartels, I've always, uh, you know, the cartels control everything. Well, the heck of it really is, is that the DEA controls everything. They control the cartels. They control the law. They control the logic. They control the belief system in this madness. And they're unwilling to defend it in any fashion at any time because, well, they are the cartels. Always remember, you can't spell death without the DEA. I am Dean at DrugTruth.net.
6: What am I gonna do now? Am I gonna make it somewhere, somehow? Well, maybe I'm not supposed to know.
4: We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff, or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live. And find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. Please tune in for the rest of our 9 a.m. weekday lineup with Law and Disorder on Tuesday, Alternative Radio on Wednesday, Cowtown Conversations on Thursday, and Between the Lines at 9 a.m., followed by Understanding Israel-Palestine at 9.30 a.m. on Fridays. Up next is Monday Morning Medicine Show with Dr. Mike. And at noon, Arts Magazine with Michael Hogue. Stick around for jazz and blues in the afternoon and Eco Radio KC at 6 p.m. Then round out your day south of the border with Fiesta Musicale,
3: I can't And if I fall down I'm gonna get back up It'll be alright